Green Thumbs Rejoice. It's the Bob Olin Show, brought to you by Dan's Garden Center, located in Dan's Feedback in Superior. The WLSSD's Garden Green. Compost you'll dig. Now, KDAL's Master Gardener, Bob Olin. Hey, we're underway. Uh, May 24th edition of the Bob Olin Show. Bob, it's certainly looking like planting season out there now. Oh, very definitely. For some things, at least, Dave, yeah. we're gonna, we'll talk a little bit about that, talk a little bit about soil temperatures, which are slowly beginning to warm up. Obviously, very cool spring and uh, kind of a slow start to things, but things are changing pretty nicely. I kind of like that forecast again there, where you've got some moisture coming tomorrow. Is that right, Dave? Yeah, beautiful sunshine today, and then tomorrow, rain pretty much uh, through the day, rain showers, and rain showers likely in the evening. Uh, looks like rain could extend into uh, Thursday as well. So we got a wet period coming up. Yeah, it sounds like it, but if people can get a chance out there, we'll, uh, we can talk a little bit about putting things in the ground. You know, I said early spring is when you really want to take a look at the landscape uh, rather than your flower or vegetable gardens. And uh, we still are, we're moving right through May here, but it's been cool, so mm-hmm. people want to definitely be very careful about setting out frost-sensitive materials. We we uh, get reminded almost every year that uh, we are living in the Northland and we can have uh, a sudden frost that comes kind of out of nowhere. I know I've, and over the years it's kind of funny as we've warmed up, we've had warm seasons and cool seasons, but uh, I've always used June 10th as kind of a guideline for setting out frost-sensitive materials. These are your tomato plants and your pepper plants, egg plants, those types of things that are very frost-sensitive. And, um, you know, in, in a warm year, uh, we could get away with doing that maybe June 1st or the end of May, but then all of a sudden we get reminded the last two years we've had very, very cold temperatures, uh, frosted down hard on uh, June 11th. But if we take a look at all the statistics, uh, by the time you get to June 10th, you have about a 98% probability of no frost at all. So that's, those are pretty good odds. So we're going to hold off on all those, maybe take a little uh, shot at the Memorial Weekend if, in fact, uh, you've got to get in early. But we do have some options, Dave, uh, coming into the landscape. I mentioned that uh, looking at the landscape, planting uh, perennial uh, flowering perennials, you want to put some bee balm in or one thing or another. A lot of interest in pollinator gardens. And maybe we can get a chance, we'll see how the day goes here, to talk a little bit about some of those flowering perennials that you might want to get sourced and, and putting into your landscape. A uh, lot of interest there. Uh, those can all go in the ground now, certainly. And um, I think some in the vegetable garden, if it isn't too wet, we've talked about this, if it's uh, if you have a heavy clay soil, you don't want to do a lot of tromping around there, you don't want to do a lot of over-tilling until we get some of that moisture off, maybe you get a chance now. Uh, maybe you're going to have to wait till after this wet period passes, but uh, we have some options there in the vegetable garden. We certainly can be looking at uh, soil temperatures. They're warming up gradually. I tend to track that, and uh, we're in the 50s on our soil temperatures, down about two inches. Warm day like this, it'll jump a little bit, but try it right in the morning. It tends to come right back down again. So we're still relatively cool in terms of soil temperatures, but we certainly can plant many of the salad crops. I take a look at things like uh, lettuce certainly and spinach certainly can go in the ground and these seeds that will germinate under very cool soil temperatures a lot of those will germinate when their temperatures are in the mid 40s uh, we come up into the uh, the lower 50s and you can put in beets you can put in carrots uh, many of the salad crops can go in the ground but you uh, peas certainly could be one of those that we like to get in early so we take advantage of of uh, the cooler portion of the season uh, pea crop typically doesn't do that well uh, when we get into the heat of the summer, so we like to get them off. And early. Uh, a lot of people like to plant green beans and, 
and other direct seeded crops. A little early for those warm season crops. Uh, soil temperatures are cool. If we can get temperatures up to about 60 degrees, we kind of like that. Pretty easy to take that. You know, I happen to use a compost thermometer and just uh, get it in about two inches or so and, and try to determine soil temperature. That will vary depending on your site, and we talked about the texture of the soil. Certainly, if you have a sunny southern exposure, things are going to warm up faster. If you've got lighter, you've got a sand or a sandy loam or a sand with significant organic matter, so it's holding the water. Uh, those soils obviously will warm up faster for us in the spring than a clay loam or a straight clay soil, Dave. So it all depends on your site, but we definitely, on a nice day and coming into the evening, uh, uh, if you can take advantage of uh, this break in the weather on a beautiful day like this, I think it's a good, good time to start uh, doing some planting. We have a week to go in May, and a lot of folks uh, celebrating, I guess, the No Mow May. And sadly, I could not do it. it uh, I hit the uh, mower yesterday just because it got so thick and long, I figured I would never be able to mow through it if I let it go any longer. So I mowed at least a portion of my lawn yesterday. Yeah, I ran into the same situation where I was going to have a, uh, a maybe a no mow hay may. I was, uh, <laughs> I had, I was, had yeah. a pretty good hay crop out there in one location, so I had to had to get the mower out and cut it back a little bit. Yeah. But other places, in everybody's situation is just a little bit mm-hmm. different. And uh, some some place a little cooler, a little wetter, uh, maybe they haven't had to mow all yet, and they're kind of holding off. A uh, lot of interest in, uh, again, I mentioned the pollinators and what we're calling uh, bee lawns and trying to get established uh, certain species that will flower a uh, lower, lower stature flowering species so you can still have a lawn, you can still mow maybe at the two-and-a-half, three-inch level, but you don't cut off uh, the potential uh, flowering, which is, of course, the uh, the food source for a lot of our pollinating in- insects. So it's it's very interesting, Dave. Uh, we, uh, you know, gardening changes, society changes. There was a time when you wouldn't tolerate a dandelion anywhere, and now, <laughs> now people look at them and say, well, it's a good uh, nectar source for some of our early uh, pollinating insects. So it, it all changes, and uh, I think we're in that phase right now, but I think people are going to try to find kind of a middle ground here where they still have a lawn that they can use for, for activities, and uh, still you might be able to compromise a little bit, tolerate some of the broadleaf weeds, uh, particularly those that flower, and uh, provide a source for uh, pollinating insects, which we're all well aware of are under a little bit of pressure throughout the country as we move to corn and soybean crops and try to feed the world and so forth. But uh, our suburban, urban uh, lawns and landscapes can certainly be a, a good habitat source for a lot of these pollinating insects that are very important for fruit and vegetable production, Dave. Yeah, surprisingly enough, uh, the grass was growing better than the dandelions were. There was not that many dandelions in the lawn that I mowed. Well, what a shame. Yeah, usually <laughs> they're the first things to come up. That wasn't my situation. I, I had plenty of yellow out ah. there when I was doing a little mowing. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll take a break and be right back. Don't forget, if you've got any questions for Bob, the phone line is certainly open. It's 218-722-0839. All right, Bob, if you're ready, we're going to go to the phones. And uh, fine. Well, I guess we'll start things off with a question about begonias, I understand. Go ahead. Good morning. Hey, thanks a lot for what you do. We really appreciate it. Well, it's so, nice to know we got some uh, gardeners listening out there. That's great. Yeah, yeah, there are some. Maybe not as many callers as our listeners, that's for sure. <laughs> but uh, uh, bring a, a begonia in front of the house, which is on the north side. And I put them in concrete pots. And as the summer goes on, they don't look nearly as good as when I brought them home from the nursery. They yeah. don't flower as much, and they tend to get, oh, come August, uh, they get a little leggy. What, uh, what do you suggest? 
Well, I think, uh, you know, there are a couple issues. First, they should take a full sun, partial shade. Maybe you can give me a clue that way. Well, they're almost right smack on the north side of the house. Maybe okay. they have too much shade. Yeah, well, it may be a little too much shade there. If they're stretching, they're getting a little leggy. The other thing that you mentioned, concrete pots. Uh, we can get a very alkaline soil condition uh, from the concrete, so the, some of the carbonates uh, that come off concrete. So I'm just wondering if that might be an issue. Have you ever taken a uh, pH test or a soil test? No, I put new soil in them every year. They're, they're probably all oh, about 18 inches in diameter, so maybe uh, 12 inches deep. Okay, so well, then it's probably not uh, alkaline, and as long as you're changing out that soil, because my concern is that that will drift from a from a, a concrete. Anytime you're near a concrete foundation or near in a concrete pot, you can get uh, some carbonate that will uh, it will actually drive your pH up. That could be a factor. I think more than anything, you're probably dealing with uh, a lower light situation. Uh, let describe again uh, the plants begin to stretch and you're not getting adequate flowering is that is that the situation yes yeah i think the stretch is is a low light scenario there and i think that uh, the lack of flowering might be uh using any kind of fertility with it maybe i'm not using enough that's possible or here's the thing it might if you're using um some of our most most common water soluble fertilizers out there they they tend to be very heavy in nitrogen uh, you know, we got nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. We need all three. Uh, nitrogen does push uh, plant growth in general, but oftentimes will push the green uh, portion, uh, the green tissue, at the expense of flower and root formation. So I would suggest to looking for a water-soluble uh, tomato food, what they'll call a tomato fertilizer, which will have all three components, but it'll be heavy in the phosphorus, heavy in the potassium relative to the uh, to the nitrogen. So uh, you want to flip that container around when you're making a purchase, and you want to just make sure you got three numbers again. You want to make sure that the first one, nitrogen, is smaller than the next two. Most of these uh, water solubles are the other way around. The first one, first number, nitrogen, is going to be uh, larger than the other two because this pushes green growth. We get this instant gratification from that big push in green growth, but you can get that extensive vegetative growth and we're sacrificing the uh, the phosphor, the flowering, and the blooming uh, that you're really looking for. I think it's two things. I think it's a light situation, and then I also think that you probably have got maybe too much nitrogen relative to the amount of phosphorus and potassium in, in your fertilizing regimen there. Okay? And that could well be the problem. Well, well, give it a try. Let's see if we can't get that, uh, you know, moving the, moving the pots and give them a little bit more light. They, they definitely do pretty well and will tolerate... Uh, a northern situation, as long as it isn't complete full shade, but I think it's probably a combination of both those things. But that's a, uh, it's a good question, and uh, let's try changing up and mixing up that fertilizer component. Look for a tomato food out there, and that'll do a pretty good job for you. Okay? Okay. Thank you, sir. Appreciate yep. it. Thank, Thank you for the call. Appreciate that. We're at uh, 930. Yeah, if he's got them in pots, maybe he can move the pots to a, well, I suppose he wants them in the shade, so... Well, partial shade at least there, yeah. or, or maybe maybe trying to move them around. He's got a concrete pot, so mm-hmm. I'm just wondering about moving those. How's your back feel for moving concrete these days? <laughs> That's true. That might be a tad on the heavy side to be moving around too much. <laughs> right, right. All right. Uh, let's take another break. Bob, we'll be back. More of the Bob Olin Show here on a Tuesday morning. And we're back. More of the Bob Olin Show here on a Tuesday, the 24th of May already. we got another week to go in May, and then we're into June. As the season is going quick. <laughs> well, we start off slow because it's cold and wet, snowy, yeah. and uh, all of a sudden it's moving along very quickly here. 
going to have a good growing season. They're still predicting uh, hot and dry for the summer mm. months. We'll see what happens here. But so far, we'll take all the moisture. We've got a little bit more coming. We feel pretty yep. fortunate. Other parts of the country may not be quite as fortunate. Food supply is going to be very critical now with what's going on in Ukraine, losing uh, 13% of the world's calories. So we're, again, very fortunate that we've got uh, this large landmass. And hopefully somebody gets the water, and uh, hopefully we're not as hot and dry during the growing season this year as we were last year. But nonetheless, I, I think we're off to a, uh, a pretty good start here. Again, Dave, as I mentioned, uh, you don't want to rush the season on your vegetable gardens or your uh, uh, some of your flower gardens. Perennials, certainly perennial material, plant material can go in the ground. I want to just uh, spend a moment because I did uh, have an inquiry from an individual who showed me some uh, beautiful red maple trees that they're going to have to come down because they were not properly pruned when they were very young. So uh, people will be planting, probably going to be a big weekend here. Uh, They're going to put an apple tree in. They're going to put maybe sugar maples or some other uh, deciduous shade tree in. I think that uh, as a basic rule of thumb, you want to get yourself a good site. You want to spend plenty of time. You don't want to have one of those trees and do a, a poor job in protecting or planting. So basically, rule of thumb, you've got uh, a beautiful tree that you bought from a nursery. It's going to go in the ground, and uh, you're going to prepare a nice uh, hole for that tree. You're going to think about a nice, uh, broad, shallow hole as opposed to just a real deep hole. We're going to put these in the ground. We're going to shake them out of the container. Most Many of them are container-grown, and uh, they're going to come out of that plastic container. You're going to break the roots apart. You can actually take a knife and slice it down if you like. We've gone away from that. There's a little bit of damage there on cold soils. Uh, it takes a while to recover from that. Warmer soils, we regrow those roots very quickly. So instead, uh, we're going to dig ourselves a nice hole. We're not going to go too deep. We're going to take the, the uh, tree out of the container. We're going to break those roots apart. And then I like to use that shovel. You, when you set, it, set that tree with the root ball down into the ground, uh, you want to throw your shovel across the top of that hole, and you don't want it to get in there too deep. You're going to look for your major, what we call a flare root. So you'll see uh, uh, coming down in the soil line, you'll see one major root that comes off horizontally. That's considered the flare root. That's your primary root. That needs to go below ground level, but you don't want to be too deep. Oftentimes, many of these trees are grafted on the rootstocks. You'll see the graft union, so it's kind of a jog in the in the main stem. A lot of people like to plant that down in the ground. That's oftentimes too deep, so you look instead for this major root system that's coming off. We've got on a tree like this, we've got stem tissue, and it differentiates into root tissue. Root tissue is unique in that it can take all the soil bacteria. It's, it's, uh, it's been differentiated is the term we use. It, is, it, it has grown and has formed uh, cell tissue that will resist additional moisture in soil bacteria. Stem tissue is not. So if you get this down too deep, you're actually planting and carrying soil around the stem. And uh, that can actually rot off and you can lose a tree that way. So we want to be a little bit careful about how deep we put them in the ground. We want a nice broad, uh, uh, you can even work that soil up into a, a large area. You can work some of compost. One of our good sponsors there has got a great compost product in Garden Green. You can work some of that into the mineral soil, but you don't want to just dig a hole, fill it with compost, and plant the tree in that hole filled with compost because the roots will take off very quickly. They'll grow very quickly in the compost and then they hit that soil uh, barrier uh, where, where they're hitting actual mineral soil, and they can start to work their way around and em- eventually girdle the tree. That has happened many, many times. So you don't want to just put compost in your hole. You want to, if you dug your soil out, you can work some compost into that mineral soil that you're going to backfill with. 
sow some organic at that point, mix thoroughly with the mineral soil, will be fine. But not just uh, filling it with compost and dropping the tree in there. You'll be satisfied maybe for a year or two, then suddenly you've got a real problem with that tree. So we're not going to plant too deep. We're going to um, make sure we work up the soil or we can work some organic into the backfill soil. And uh, then we're going to uh, think about protecting a deer. I think everyone's got a white-tailed deer issue just about any place, uh, cities, suburbs, out in the country. There are plenty of deer around. So you want to think about uh, uh, fencing them off. You want to have that ready to go because my experience has been uh, they're watching as you're planting. And uh, <laughs> you want to make sure you fence it immediately because I've left them overnight and been very disappointed in the morning uh, where they get browsed back very heavily. So you want to protect from deer initially. You want to have some kind of a way to protect from sunscald on your main stem. Uh, and we use... Uh, uh, a uh, cylinder of you can use actually a plastic cylinder that's white in color these are actually made for the landscape industry or you can just use drain towel which is a black material that you can get from any kind of a home center uh, from experience I've learned you're going to buy these uh, you know they're going to be about three four feet up the main stem you're going to have to slit this material uh, just use a small hand saw don't try uh snips of any times you can do it that way but it's a lot more work these saw very easily uh, saw it apart split it apart get it around the tree get that cylinder of, of plastic down into the soil i've had a problem where the bowls will get at it in the winter months uh, make sure there's a gap air gap between your stem and your cylinder of plastic and then bring it up uh, at least to those first lateral branches that are coming off so this provides protection from uh, both sun scald as well as rodent damage so you made a big investment in a tree. We want to get it planted properly. We want to protect from deer. We want to protect from sun scald. All those protection systems are equally important. Uh, you know, a quality tree now can start at $50 and go much more than that, even if you're putting it in the ground all your time, your labor. Uh, let's get it protected. And then uh, I guess the other one other thing that you want to look at, and I started this discussion with uh, a situation where they're going to have to take some beautiful red maples down because they were not pruned when they were very young. Think about one central leader. You don't want a split leader at the top. So oftentimes some of those uppermost branches will try to work their way vertically so you get a situation where you've got two leaders going up and ultimately you develop what we call a slingshot crotch and uh, that will actually split right down the center over time. So you're planting trees, a hard maple like that, you're looking at a tree that's 80 to 100 years, going to live that long. So you want to be very careful that we, we prune it up uh, initially. You're not going to do a lot of pruning. You might take just one cut, but the most critical thing is one central leader and avoiding that twin leader at the top, take the weakest uh, lateral off and don't have anything that's competing with your main stem. So you have one nice, uh, strong central leader, and then we have branches coming off that central leader at as close to a 90-degree angle as possible. That gives you structurally a very strong tree that gets off to a good start. Once again, at the initial pruning, maybe one or two cuts. If, the, if you're fortunate, you don't have the possibility of a competing leader. You may not have to prune it at all. But you want to get that done uh, right at the time of planting so that uh, we don't have problems down the road, Dave. I'm guessing uh, watering would be an issue, too, for those early uh, plantings. Yeah, the nice thing is you've got moisture in the soil, but what yeah. I like to do is you're, you're going to dig your hole, you're going to pull some soil out, you might mix a little organic in with it, fill the bottom of the hole with water with your garden hose, yeah. and then as you're adding soil, particularly if it's uh, 
Uh, if it's dry where you are, if you've got light sandy soils, you're backfilling with the soil, make sure that you've got the hose there and that, that whole soil profile is moist and then a little water on the top. Better to do it that way than to try to uh, just work the water in after you've planted it from the top because it takes quite a while to get it down into the root zone. Good point there, Dave. All right. You keep it wet or you just want once a week or how? Well, yeah, if you've got that soil profile wet, you want to watch the moisture. Obviously, mm-hmm. getting some rain here. We predict on heavy soils, uh, you know, you can kill them with kindness where yeah. you get them too wet. So uh, you just want to watch that a little bit. And if, if you start out a good and moist down in the soil uh, profile there all the way down where you've planted the roots, you're adding water as you're backfilling. Uh, then just coming over the top. Uh, if it does get dry, we want maybe a young tree like that. We want maybe two inches of water. We want it to soak down uh, two inches of water a week, something like that. Not any more than that. And that would include what you might be getting from the rain and what you're going to bring in with your with your hose or irrigation. But uh, water initially, you get them off to a good start. Again, you want a good site. We, we look for good drainage. We look for full sun and uh, get the best site you possibly can for these trees. But uh, it's, it is a major long-term investment, and even if you are paying sixty, seventy, eighty, hundred dollars for a tree, uh, when you consider that over the lifetime of the, that tree, where they might live eighty, ninety, hundred years, uh, do it right initially. Protect it. The investment in some fencing material. Make the investment in some way to wrap that uh, that main stem, so we don't have the sun scald or the uh, rodent issue. Uh, I think fewer trees, uh, properly planted, properly protected. So we're we're planting and protecting. I think those are going to be the key things that are going to be uh, critical here. But right now, it's a great time to put those types of things in the landscape. You can avoid uh, planting your green beans and and your sweet corn and so forth a little bit longer until the soil temperature is warm. Uh, certainly, your your cukes and your squash, all the vine crops, so we don't go in too early. Uh, they can easily rot off under these cool and now moist conditions we've got. But certainly, uh, perennial material like trees, shrubs. Uh, flowering perennials, uh, they could all go in the ground and should go in the ground uh, right now over the next uh, week or two here. Sounds good. 945, we'll take another break. It's the Bob Olin Show here on KDAL. And we're back. More of the Bob Olin Show here on a Tuesday, 947 now. Bob, uh, how about your indoor plants? would be a good time to get those out in the daytime anyway, and you can bring them back at night, right? Well, you sure can. That's where you want to be very careful uh, this time of year because mm-hmm. it's still cool out there. Right. If you're going to do that, then there's plenty of season for that. Uh, make sure uh, we want to protect from the bright sun, so we're going to find a shady location. We want to protect from the wind because the outdoor environment, even on a warm day, is very, very harsh compared wow. to the uh, the indoor environment. So we're going to move them out very carefully. We're going to bring them back in. It might be just a little bit early. Maybe we look at uh, June 1 for that. But okay. even at that point, when temperatures night and day have warmed up, but when you might want to be able to leave them outside, uh, you still want to follow that same procedure. Let's look for shade and wind protection uh, so that we don't uh, have any damage to them or set them back because, uh, again, the outdoor environment is very harsh compared to an indoor environment. Yeah, I suppose if they're used to the indoors, uh, being outdoors could be quite a shock for them instead of uh, beneficial. Well, they're a bunch of softies. They've come through the, uh, the winter months, and we got to yeah. gradually introduce them to the real world out there, and then they'll, right. they'll do fine. Some do better than others. So we've got to be a little cautious there. Some do preferred shady areas. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a shade, permanent shade, others, you can gradually move them out, and they will take uh, more sun. And you can go back to the native range. We talk about uh, people who want to keep over their poinsettias. Well, obviously, they come out of uh, Mexico, Southern California. They like full sun. But again, even though that plant ultimately will do real well in a potted container in full sun, but you don't want to just put it out full sun on a sunny day like this. You want to start with those in the shade as well and gradually move them out. Others... uh, 
that really tolerate low light. I think of our Christmas cactus and so forth that will do well with a little bit more light than what we've got on the inside. But they're, uh, they're plants that really tolerate cooler, shadier areas, and you should find a, some location where there's at least partial shade. Uh, in many cases, they don't like full sun. They tend to bleed out. We bleed, and they tend to... Uh, uh, wash the uh, green chlorophyll out of the leaf surface. So every plant is a little different. Those that tolerate the shade area is best. Let's find a shady area outside. Those that come out, their native range would be bright, sunny areas. I mentioned the poinsettia. There are other crownathorns, euphorbs, or any other number of uh, house plants that really came from very bright, almost arid, uh, desert-like areas. And those certainly can ultimately be in the full sun. But everything starts in the shade, and everything starts protected from the wind as you move them out. You got your uh, tomato plants going indoors now at this point? At this point, yeah. We're not going to put anything out for a little while. No, we're going to be a little careful there. Even if we get by uh, without a frost, uh, where it's very cool, particularly in the evening, we tend to harden these plants off, and it takes a while to get them started again when the warm temperatures. So I delay a little bit on on some of that and uh, wait until we've got... uh, I like the concept of continuous growth. They come from a greenhouse, and we hard them off for a couple of days, and then we move them out into the uh, in the field from that point on. All righty. What else? Are you still got your Christmas tree going in the backyard, or is well, that, uh... that the Christmas tree is uh, <laughs> finally dropped its needles? That one's pretty pretty much. Ah, okay. We are looking at uh, people are going to be looking at repairing uh, damage in the grass right now. Their lawns, and always a lot of discussion uh, oh, yeah. there. And uh, I think uh, seeding. The, the lawn is, is going to be a good option. If you've got areas that you need to repair, uh, a couple of concepts there. I mentioned the fact that uh, there's so much interest in bee lawns. Be a little careful. There are folks selling a lot of bee lawns out there that contain um, principally three species, white clover, self-heal, and some of the flowering uh, creeping thyme, in addition to fescues and some grass species. Uh, these uh, mixes tend to be very expensive, and as we looked into that, um, white clover out of that mix and what we're looking for is we're looking for these low stature plants so you can mow across the top that flower at a very low stature and of those they got to be winter hardy and uh, a lot of our times as well as the um, what's called self-heal which is a very nice plant uh, but they're they're hardy for a solid zone four zone v they're not going to make it in zone three which is what most people are dealing with in our listing area unless you're right next to the lake or if you're in the st louis river valley there you've got warmer conditions probably get by with some of these bee mixes but we're looking for uh actually some hardier species so buy a little white clover one of our sponsors i know they've got that so buy a little white clover mix that in and uh people will ask about the red clovers the problem with the red clover a lot of them is they grow they flower at a high higher height than a white uh, clover so you're going to be mowing all all those down and they never really do flower very well for you so white clover i think is a species that you might want to mix in if in fact uh you know, you want to provide some kind of a, a low-stature flowering plant uh, for the pollinators. And, again, this is kind of a new concept, but uh, a lot of people are very interested. You know, we did our spring gardening extravaganza, and it was probably one of the number one topics that people wanted some information on. So we're, we're definitely moving away from uh, a pure-ass lawn in the landscape to uh, kind of a nice mix, maybe not the dandelions and other broad leaves. Uh, Creeping Charlie is not one of those. Uh, broad leaves, even though it flowers, that uh, that the native pollinating insects can really benefit much from. So we might even work at eliminating some of that. But bringing some of the clovers in, and again, the nice thing about clovers is they're legumes, so they actually pull nitrogen out of the air and they fix it uh, down in the soil through a symbiotic relationship with some of the bacteria down on the roots. So they actually take nitrogen from the air 
which is a very stable form of nitrogen, and they're actually able to convert it into a nitrate form, which the grass can actually use. So there's actually a good relationship between clovers, legumes, and our grass plants. The grass plants need the nitrogen. They don't fix nitrogen. The, the clovers, particularly uh, if you get them well-established initially, they will actually produce nitrogen in the soil, or the term we use is fix it down in the soil uh, so it can be used by other plants. So it's a nice combination, and um, certainly uh, having a little clover in the one, at one time people wouldn't tolerate any clover, but the right kind of clover uh, provides a good forage source, both nectar as well as pollen for a lot of our native bees. It's not so much the honeybees, it's the native bees, and we've got over 200 species in northern Minnesota that are out there, and they're uh, actively pollinating our uh, Apple trees, of course, are beginning to break bud. They'll be flowering very soon. And if you take a closer look at this, they're just alive with activity. And so much of the uh, pollinating activity that's occurring is being done by not honeybees necessarily, unless you've got a bee producer in your area, but it's done by uh, native uh, bees. Uh, they're smaller, they're less conspicuous, but they also do a great job of just transferring pollen and uh, helping facilitate the development of a good crop. So we're in favor of this. I think it's an interesting trend that's hit very quickly here, and uh, I think people will be uh, looking for some of these other species in their lawns. But lawn repair, a great thing to do this time of year. You can get in there. You can always seed. You can always, uh, at this point, you can seed. You can always sod. You do want to make sure that you've got a, a water supply because you can get that seed in the ground, and then if, in fact, it germinates and then dries down over a period of time, uh, it will actually not get well established. So you have to think about moisture for seeding much more than you do with sod, where you can get it watered in initially, and it will pretty well take off for you. But when you're talking about seed, the seed bed has to be kept moist, either from the natural rainfall or from your, your garden hose or irrigation system. We've got to keep it moist for about uh, three weeks till we get it established, Dave. All right, we'll be back to wrap up the show here this morning after this. Bob, wrapping up the show, we got time for some final thoughts of yours here this morning. Well, we got a beautiful day. That's the, that's the final thought here. And we have an <laughs> opportunity to do a lot of things out in the landscape. Got rain coming tomorrow, so uh, if you plan on putting a tree in, trees or shrubs, we talked a little bit about getting them protected. Uh, take your time doing it, but uh, it'd be a great time to do that if you're going to be in the vegetable garden, uh, again, you're only going to be direct seeding some of those cool season crops. That's the carrots, that's the beets, that's the uh, lettuce and the spinach. You're going to stay away from uh, your cukes and any warm season crop, cukes and um, the green beans and snap beans and so forth. Uh, these all are going to, uh, there's plenty of time to get those planted. Let's let the soil temperatures warm a little bit. So there's plenty to do. Uh, good uh, opportunity today if you have the time during the day or this evening. We're not going to get rain till tomorrow, but this is a a real nice window, going to get a little rain, and looks like we're going to have another nice opportunity coming forward. So lots of great stuff getting off to a good growing season here, and uh, uh, we want people to, if they can, take advantage of this uh, window of opportunity, Dave. All right, Bob, thanks very much. We'll catch you again next Tuesday. My pleasure. Have yeah. a good day and good week. You bet. The Bob Olin Show has been brought to you by Dan's Garden Center, located in Dan's Feedback in Superior. And by WLSSD's Garden Green. Compost you'll dig.